0: Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly chance to be a fly on the wall as chefs, restaurateurs, foodies, and journalists try to wrap their heads around what the hell is going on in one of the greatest culinary cities in America, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm your host, Al Mancini, with a bit of a scratchy throat this week. I apologize, getting over a little bit of strep throat, but I'm not contagious and I don't have the Rona. That's the important thing. (laughs) This week's show will take a look at the state of Mexican cuisine in Las Vegas with chefs Francisco Alvarez, Mariana Alvarado, and Casa Playa's Sarah Thompson talking about the history, nutrition, and variety of Mexican cuisine and some of the unfair expectations many Americans bring with them when they go out to eat it. I'll also share some conversations I had at Craft House brewery's seventh anniversary party and a conversation i had with mr oceans 11 himself steven soderberg discussing his new spirits company and how you can enjoy their product when you head to the sahara for magic mike live but rick moonen is my guest today and for his benefit you he does not have to travel to the sahara we have a bit of that spirit
1: here i'm looking at it looks good man can't wait to taste it
0: as you can hear i'm joined for this segment by celebrity chef seafood chef extraordinaire las vegas local rick moonen and our producer rich johnson oh hi (laughs) rick how are you today man it's great (laughs) to have you back in this um co-host spot
1: i am so happy to be here and i am fantastic al thanks for asking life couldn't be possibly be better
0: so we usually start the front of the show by talking about what we've done over the past week. I know you're just back from Mexico, um, which will work well, I guess, with our discussion of Mexican cuisine. Yeah. For now, however, how was your trip? I'm guessing you could just got back from Mexico. You also had to have a COVID test recently.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. They, it's Everything's required. My wife flipped out over this. She's like, you know, if everybody on this airplane in order to leave Mexico has to have a, have a positive, you know, COVID test, not positive, negative COVID test, why would we have to wear these damn masks <laughs> oh she's so pissed off no but i've been obsessed with mexico uh, recently you know during covid and, and and continuing through and beyond um so i was invited to go to uh, a blue diamond resort in cancun and they had the cancun food and drink experience at the Royalton chic suites so you know as a chef you get asked to do these things you don't get paid but, and you have to do a good dinner collaborative with another chef and, you you know, and you have to do a cooking demo or two. And then everything is just like top notch. You get put in a suite. You get to bring your wife. She gets to hang out, relax, make friends, make connections, remember people because I'm horrible at remembering people.
0: Uh, wives are good for that, aren't oh, they? man? To, to, I, I never know anybody. These chefs come up to me and I'm like, oh, I know, so oh, who was that? Who was that?
1: I'm great with faces, but it's, hey buddy, pal, what's up? How you doing? so if anybody that's listening and I do that to you doesn't mean I don't love you I just suck at it
0: (laughs) yeah that's the tough part of the game
1: but I had a blast and they had a lot of cooking demos from uh, in indigenous, you know, individuals that were just sh- making the most perfect masa. You I said, can I touch that, can I please touch that? I want to just feel it, I want to know what perfect is. And she's, and, they, and they never use utensils to flip on their kamal. A kamal being the hot surface that they just throw the masa on and make the tortillas. They just pick them up with their fingers, flip them over, and I had to get my picture with this lady. She's about four feet tall, just flipping her mouth, smiling at you, working that masa like it was her bitch. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
0: man. Nice. Um, well, on my end, I actually got into a preview night at Super Frico, which I teased last week. It's the new psychedelic Italian restaurant in the Cosmopolitan. Have you made it in yet, Rick?
1: I have not. This is with some circ, uh performers or something. What was in the, the Spiegel world. people. Spiegel, Spiegel world. world. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sir, you're absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the Vegas, uh, it's where they used to have the Vegas Nocturne, Rose Rabbit Lie mm-hmm. thing was in there. And, um, it's still interactive. You have the show on one side. They've got uh, Opium still playing okay. over there at the mm-hmm. Cosmo, which I didn't stick around for this time. I've seen the show in the past. It's a cool, crazy Spiegel World show, a lot of fun. Um, and then you go into this kind of psychedelic on the on the other side, which is semi attached. You could kind of see the stage. Side? There's, you know, a stage. Not, there's the stage side on the one side. That's where the show is. Okay. Then on the other side, there's a bar yes. and then a restaurant.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Right in the middle. Sure. Right.
0: So we're dining in the restaurant, having a good time, and of course then some of the performers from the stage side when they're done with their little bit on stage, they come over and do some stuff within the restaurant. Yeah, there's
1: mini stages. So
0: yeah, little mini shows, which is a lot of fun. I mean, a dinner and a show is really becoming more and more popular in Las Vegas these days. Yeah, um, yeah. Everybody's Delightful. trying to entertain you while you while you eat. Um, so it was pretty cool for the first time. I would say, I think I saw Troy Heard from Majestic Repertory Theater there. <laughs> and if it was him, um, Troy, I don't know if you're involved in this, but I would say you know, he's the best of immersive entertainment. Entertainment in this town yep. I would say that um, these guys could use a few hints maybe or just work out a few bugs on how to make it that there's not bleed over like if you're if, if I can't actually see the performance yeah. that's happening right now it can get distracting if yep. it's sort of bleeding over from the other room that's a really minor it's not even a complaint but it just my first observation yep. on a practice night other than that really a lot of fun to have these people performing around you the food's very cool, very casual. When I heard that this was kind of a psychedelic Italian... Yeah, what's
1: the psychedelic... <clears throat> I'm sorry, what's the psychedelic part? Yeah,
0: I mean, what I had thought originally was that it was going to be maybe some kind of weird molecular gastronomy kind of stuff, like, sure. you know, just, uh, you know, the, the food itself. It's really not. It 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 strikes me as kind of a down-and-dirty pizza place where everybody's on mushrooms. Okay, um, there you go. Psychedelic mushrooms, okay. right? Like, that, that's the vibe. It's it's funky, it's cool, it's, uh, it's that... Down and dirty sense of humor and fun that you expect from Spiegel World, and they're fantastic at it. The food was really good. The pizza that I had is a Detroit-style pizza. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a bit of um, what Mark Marone's doing at Gemma Gemma, oh. even though he's not attached to it. Um, but, you know, just I like, you know, Detroit pizza's having kind of a moment right now. People, A lot of people are trying to do it, and they're doing it really well over over here. Um, There's also some good pastas. I had a chicken parm. Speaking of things that are having a moment, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, chicken parm between Ocelito Posto is doing a great chicken parm over there, right? Aren't they? It's
1: making a resurgence for sure.
0: Yeah, it seems like every... I don't know, man. Every decade or so, we have two or three comfort food things.
1: That come back. That
0: come back, right? Yeah, exactly. And we rediscover them. And then all the snooty chefs start doing them and all the I'm, expensive restaurants. I'm going
1: to make a prediction. Sloppy Joe's are going to be the next wave. Why not? I'm good with that. Yeah, I love me a Sloppy right? Joe, man. Right, I mean, I remember, I grew up seven kids in the family. My mother worked. My father worked. My mother, when she got home, she started dinner. So it had to be quick and easy or whatever. And like once a week, it would be Sloppy Joe's. And I was just so happy.
2: Oh, yeah. Just... Tomatoy, almost sweet sweet, sweet. They're yeah they're yeah sweet Oh, on a hunk of uh, Wonder Bread or whatever, sweet yeah. meat, baby, on a, a piece of bread. Yeah, <laughs> almost like the loose meat sandwich of the legendary. Oh yeah, uh, man!
1: It's uh, made one of those right you, in the you, Midwest.
2: You pick it up, you don't put
1: it back down.
2: Oh, you, no, that's a forked uh, sandwich.
0: It would be awesome if they do come back. We've seen them all, man. I mean, we've seen deviled eggs have their moment, had their moment for a while. Tater tots are at the tail end of having a moment. I think. No, uh, I
1: hope not. I love tater
2: tots. Chicken pot pie has been around here and yeah. there. Although I, I totally object to the idea of just making the the stuff in a crock and put a piece of pastry on top. No, no it needs to be a proper
1: pie. There you go. Or don't put it on the menu. Hey, or, and mac and cheese is always... Oh. Mac and cheese is forever. Though.
0: Mac and cheese is definitely forever, yeah.
1: yeah. Except I, I will
2: raise my hand here and object strenuously to lobster mac and cheese lobster what mac an and absolute rules. waste of what lobster wrong,
1: why you would know? you do that check yeah. averages baby that's all about check averages not about cuisine yeah I you like, two are snobs i love mac and cheese i, I like lobster and i just mac and cheese. oh okay good okay. i i
2: can't taste the lobster when it's in mac and cheese. All well, it tastes is the mac the and shitty cheese. Chef
1: who and that's true. Makes it so you can't taste no, the No, you charge for it and you put enough there so you realize. The same thing with caviar. I, mean, I hate things like <laughs> you can count the eggs on the, on the little thing that they put on you. <laughs> Deviled egg. Come on, give me, the, give me that.
0: Get and none of those things we just mentioned are available at Super Frico, but <laughs> oh, a lot of great yeah. Italian food. Good show, a lot of fun. They also have the Ski Lodge bar over on the side, which you is check cool. It out. Um, I guess now that the Mount Charleston Lodge it's not going to be around for a while process of elimination
1: can we have five seconds of silence on that one
0: well no dead air sucks okay okay but um (laughs) (laughs) but we will in fact mourn that loss but you can feel like you're in a little ski lodge going up to super freako so that was fun i wish those guys the best they're up and running right now everybody should get in there and stick around for opium because it is a fun show even though i haven't seen the revamp i've seen it in the past and i did enjoy it um Okay, also speaking of entertainment, as I mentioned, I had dinner with Steven Soderbergh. He was in town, and for those who don't know, um, Sex, Lives, and Videotape, uh, Ocean's Eleven, I mean, just, you know. Aaron
1: Brockovich, Traffic.
0: Yeah, I mean, amazing director. Um, He was in town pushing his new spirits brand, Singani 63. The truth is, it's more than a brand. It's an entirely new category of spirit here in America, and that's why I was running a little late today, Rick, because I had to run and grab a bottle. I'm looking at it. It's talking
1: to me. I can't wait to
0: try it. This is um, native to Bolivia, distilled from the Muscat grape, Muscat of Alexandria grapes, I believe. It has never been exported outside of Bolivia before, and the director told me that he fell in love with it um, about 14 years ago, believe it or not, as he was preparing to start work on his movies about Che Guevara.
3: When I first tasted it in Madrid in 2007, um, it was given to me as a gift at the startup party for the Che films uh, by my Bolivian casting director. At that point, uh, it had never been outside of Bolivia. He bought a bottle on the black market, gave it to me just saying, this is the national spirit of my country. You should try it. I tried it. I had an immediate reaction. Um, so, we, we I made a deal with the supplier, the producer, Casa Real, to for the first time officially take it outside of Bolivia. Um, now, having agreed to do that, and I should say that what happened after that initial tasting was I organized a mule train to keep me supplied with Singani for the next six months while we were shooting the two films. Because we went from Spain to Mexico to Puerto Rico and then we ended in Bolivia. But it was six months and so we got, I I wanted to be able to drink this the whole shoot. So it was at the end of that, when we were about to go home, uh, some people on the production said why? Why don't you import this to the United States? Like we all, we've been drinking it for six months. We love it, and um, at the time, uh, that sounded like a really interesting proposition so he's
0: out on the road promoting it right now actually something that um he tells me dan Aykroyd warned him or advised him about in advance <laughs> said if you're going to do one of these spirit brands you have to be ready to go out on the road and promote it yeah. it's been a little rough during covid so he's excited that he's out doing that um and since he also produces magic mike live which recently moved over to the sahara he told me he's figured out a way to cross promote the two projects which you know you need the synergy man brilliant
3: Stupidly, it wasn't until, God, six weeks ago, that Jonathan Brathwaite, who's my COO, said, "Um, shouldn't you be a part of the cocktail program? Shouldn't we be part of the cocktail program? And I said, yes, you're right. Um, Jonathan went and found Ricky Lynn, and... We immediately started having conversations with F&B at the Sahara. Yeah. Turns out, one of the people we were talking to, Nate Headland, I'd worked with his brother Garrett on Mosaic, a show I made for HBO. Now, that didn't really change anything, it was just we, we, we immediately liked each other, so that was good. Um, But what we were able to do that I think is unusual is completely integrate the cocktail menu with the show to the point where uh, I think this week, we've come up with an idea. It's kind of a pairing of cocktails with each section of the show. And And you set it all up when you come in So you go, I want to do the whole thing. That's the only thing you do all night. At at the exact right moment, the cocktail for that section of the show appears in front of you, right? Yeah, like, that's a great way to, it's all, look, all of this stuff, food, spirits, entertainment, it's all about transportation. Like, you're trying to transport people somewhere, you know. And and so to add the cocktail thing on top of the experience to further put you in a very specific place, like, why not?
0: Okay, so um, transporting you to a place, all that fun stuff, Bolivia. But you did not have to be. Rich, you'll love this. I, I sent over this script of what we were doing today to yeah. work last night, and I get a text from him. Hey, are we going to have any of that singani? And I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> in the process of trying to secure a bottle. So I poured some, <sighs> yeah. and um, let's all try this. I'd be curious to hear what you guys think
1: all of right, it. let's check it out. It's beautiful. It's crystal clear, first of all. Hmm. It's got an amazing... Um, the ar- aroma Very for- aromatic. Yeah. Very aromatic. And that's the Muscato grape. You know, Muscato is made... You know, it's a sweet, it, a lot of sweet wines are made with it. But, I mean, you, you know, like Bombe uh, de Venise, which is a dessert wine out of France. And there's, uh, it's usually grown in higher altitudes. It's a larger grape. It tastes like peaches and pears. It's got all of this floral, delicious, you know, stone fruit, um, uh, and so what they do is they take it in Bolivia. I just read up on it.
0: I'm you down in Bolivia? I'm not a freaking it? genius.
1: But this <laughs> doesn't see any wood whatsoever because they feel as though, feel as though that, that the astringencies in the wood are going to take away the aromatic um, nuances that yeah. I didn't even taste it yet. So. <laughs> it's
2: strong. Uh, it's got a zillion fruits going on. You can certainly... No, it's here before it's here because, as you said, once we poured it, I could smell it from across the table.
1: Yeah, and, uh... well, well, I think I mean. Stephen said he said, and I had an immediate reaction. <laughs> Normally, that means you broke out or something, but I get what he's saying. Yeah, it, uh, unlike- you know,
0: I don't know if it's because I know that it's a, a it's a grape spirit and I'm I'm bringing that baggage to it, but to me, it's like a refined, higher end of grappa, right? I mean, mm. it, it kind of has some of that. That kick that I get from a good grappa after a meal.
1: It's the same category, Al. Yeah. Seriously, it's, it's, it's a distillate from grape. Yeah. Cognac, right. Armagnac, you know, Pisco. But
0: this, yeah. but this is closer to a Pisco or a grappa, I think, than a mm. cognac or an Armagnac, in my, to my mind. I don't know. It, and, you know, I have weird grappa stories in the background anyway. That, that I associate them with fun and party and things like that, and that, that's what this feels like. It feels like a, feels like a serious party spirit.
1: I'm going to tell you something, but it goes on and on and on. What I taste on my palate yeah. right now is like slate like rain on a hot tin roof. You know, sometimes you get that from mezcal, of course, that's an agave uh, distillate. This is a grape distillate, but it it still uh, brings on an amazing mouthfeel, the alcohol in it is not super hot, so you're not like—unfortunately, uh, it means you probably can drink— yeah, was well, it, 40%
2: you, it says there? That?
1: Well, that's 80 proof, yeah. so I mean, yeah. that's about what, you know— um, that's Standard Jameson's. American whiskey. Yeah, yeah, standard American Yeah, exactly. Liquor.
2: Now,
0: the one thing that uh, Mr. Soderbergh said to me was that—he's that, um, been hearing from mixologists that this will actually work in a lot of classic cocktails— it, as a replacement spirit, that it mm-hmm. kind of blends in with some other things. It'll you can sub it out for anything from an American whiskey to uh, to a tequila. Now you know, of course, if you're you're in the business of selling it for for cocktails, you're gonna say you can yeah. use it in everything. Yeah. I don't really know. I'd love to have a conversation with some mixologists once they've had fun with it. But in the meantime, head over to Magic Mike, see some abs, um, see some sweaty boys, and <laughs> um, and enjoy the kind of tasting situation setup that he was just telling us about, where you. Order, and then for every scene in this show they drop a different um, Sangani cocktail. Uh, you know,
1: I'm going cocktail. just for this. I swear. you are, oh. Listeners, you will not be disappointed. This is an amazing spirit.
2: Now is this available retail here in the Las Vegas It is Valley? not
0: which is why I was running late today. Um, I, had, it's, I guess they're just putting it into bars right now. I wasn't able to find like a lease last night when I spoke to Rick to go out and get it. Um, but I will keep people apprised on when it becomes more available. When we come back, I'll have three of them most interesting chefs creating Mexican food in Las Vegas today, chatting about why so many Americans don't understand a damn thing about that cuisine. They don't pull any punches, so I think it's a good listen. And to quote The Fat Albert Show, if you're not careful, you may learn something. (laughs) This is Food and Loathing.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot,
0: Welcome back to Food and Loathing, coming to you for this segment from Carson Avenue in downtown Las Vegas, which, if I'm going to be honest about it, is the closest thing to a restaurant row that the Fremont East neighborhood really has. Um, Fremont Street, of course, has the action, the music, the tourists, the glitz, even a bit of the grungy glamour. It also has the bars and the booze from serious cocktail culture through serious dive bars. But if you want a bite, I would suggest you take a nice stroll down Carson Avenue between, say, 5th and 8th Street, mostly between 6th and 7th, with a little spillover, about a half a block in each direction, because you're wandering around and that's always fun. Um, start down at the Johnny Carson Hotel, anchored by the late Carrie Simons Carson Kitchen. Other tenants in there include, um, I believe, Donut Bar still in there, um, Bocho Sushi, a Juice Place, um, and then Michael and Jenna Morton's La Comita, tucked just down 6th around the corner. on from. Closer to Fremont, I guess. Anyway, keep walking east on Carson. You'll approach downtown Container Park. You'll come across Natalie Young's Eat on the south side of the street. But before you get there... On the north side, I want you all to pay careful attention to the cluster of restaurants that includes my favorite downtown brunch spot, 7th and Carson, as well as the pioneering vegan restaurant, Veggie Nation, and the restaurant I am sitting in right now. You knew I was coming to a point there, right? Finally. finally, Madero Street Tacos, which is also home to the El Gallo, is it pronounced El Gallo, Breakfast Burrito Ghost Kitchen? el gallo el gallo my bad see oh, that's my. what happens when you let the the white guys start off the segment <laughs> Never a good idea. And joining me for this segment, I have the owner of Madero and Del Gallo, where he offers his house-made tortillas, Chef Francisco Alvarez. And Chef, you are a veteran of top strip restaurants, working with the um, likes of Wolfgang Puck and Michael Mina, most recently exec over at Estiatorio Milos, before the pandemic offered you the opportunity to kind of rethink your direction like so many of us did. Um, So you've taken all the skill and passion that you learned on the fine dining side and applied it in to the food that you grew up with, putting your passion into Madero and El Gallo. How are you, sir?
6: Absolutely well, man. Happy to be here.
0: What did I get wrong in that little introduction?
6: Nothing, man. You're good. <laughs> Other than some pronunciations, that, I do apologize. But... That's it, man. We're good. How, how is the scene down here right now? Uh, uh, you know, a little bit of an aftermath after life is beautiful. But, uh, you know, we're just, uh, you know, looking to get back to normal, man. Cool. Also
0: joining us for this segment, a woman who is also at Life is Beautiful um, and a woman who has taken the local restaurant world by storm without even opening a restaurant, literally one tortilla (laughs) at a time, I believe, um, through a series of pop up dinners and by supplying handcrafted heirloom corn tortillas to some of the best restaurants in town mariana alvarado did i mess that up at all
5: that's perfect
0: close enough for a white guy <laughs> um the founder of masa azul an heirloom corn tortilla company and the chef behind the popular taco tuesdays at the super cool vegas test kitchen just a few blocks from where we are right now on fremont between 10th and 11th next door to ferguson's downtown did i get your background info correct
5: perfectly correct thank you all
0: Awesome. Well, one of the reasons I've asked both of you to join me today is um, we're going to try to sort through the state of Mexican food in Las Vegas, Um, but also you two both make your own tortillas. As far as I know, there are three people doing that in Las Vegas right now. The two of you, as well as Chef DJ over at Milpa on Fort Apache Road near Desert Breeze Park. Maybe there are more. If there are, I haven't heard about them. Do you guys know of any others?
5: Not really.
2: That's it, man. You know... That's it. You mean if I'm going to a big deal restaurant on the strip with a superstar chef who's been on the Food Network for decades, I'm not getting tortillas made in that on those premises? Well, maybe Ray Garcia at Viva,
0: right? Oh, wait.
5: Ray Garcia, yes. uh, They bought masa from us, and they they were making their own tortillas in the very beginning. And then once they got it going— they started doing their own. Um, and also Sarah Thompson at Casa Playa.
0: Is she there. using your stuff? Uh, no. Or is she making her own? No,
5: she's making her own. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So- oh, and one more. Sorry. Mm-hmm. La Neta. They also buy our masa, and they make their tortillas there.
0: And I feel like, Rich, every week we have guests on, and they tell us about La Neta and we haven't been there yet. So we're <laughs> are, on the way. Yeah. We're slacking. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk a bit about that, because, you know... It, there are so few people doing it. It seems nationwide in the United States, maybe in Mexico from some of the things you've told me. seems like, um, look, even this white punk rock boy from the Northeast corridor, I know when I bite into one of your tortillas, I can tell the difference right there before I even get to the fillings. It makes a difference. So that begs the question, why are they so rare? I'm guessing it's a lot of hard
6: work to do this yes the, the the work the procedure i mean the time that goes in it you know uh i'm here at 6 a.m but prior to being here at 6 a.m 3 a.m i'm up and i'm grinding you know um the night before you know you're boiling it you're adding the uh the lime um and you let that steep overnight next morning you wake up you rinse that completely off and then you gotta you know put it in the molino and grind it man i have to say though it could be a marketing tool
2: i remember 10 12 years ago perusing uh, the street i forget the name of the street old town san diego and there are 1500 mexican restaurants the one i chose is the one with the little old lady in the window
6: Doing Make, this yeah. all day—that's that's, that's you know, where I want to go. Fish, absolutely, that's man. right.
0: I remember that in San Diego too. I remember a long day shooting a TV show with John Curtis, going out and getting very drunk afterwards, <laughs> staring through one of those windows, saying, "I want those tortillas. Yeah, I
2: want that, Mama."
0: <laughs> but but it is kind of a, a rarity here in Las Vegas. Uh, for, can we get the vocabulary right? Is that you said a molino? Is a molino a a place that makes tortillas or what what's the what's the vocabulary so it's believe? a
6: it's a mill it's, it's, it's a, a mil. grinder
0: okay yeah cool so the the process is you have to get your own corn i know that both of you or i believe both of you like to use heirloom varieties of corn that aren't right. really commercially available um and then you've got to grind it down you've got to go through this whole process then you create the masa from that i mean you you tell me what's the how, how does how does it all come together
5: yeah um well nixtamalis it's what we call uh, once you have corn that has been soaked um, on lime so you know different varieties will take different amounts of time to soak and uh, then it's rinsed and then you grind it that's where your fresh masa comes from but the most important thing I think for both of us is to start with heirloom corn as you said um, that is a base you know getting the most authentic corn that's going to give you all the flavor and also nutrients so that's um That's a very important part of what we're doing right now.
0: Yeah, And, you know, people who follow food, they understand, you know, when we we talk about heirloom varieties, we're really talking about naturally occurring varieties of any plant that has been around, and sometimes of animals as well, but that has been around forever and that that hasn't been genetically modified or even a hybrid that was created to make it easier for the farmers. Because, of course, we've got a huge commercial farming world right now and we want to make it easy. So... Monsanto does what Monsanto does and they make it easier to apply pesticides and all that kind of stuff. But you get what some feel tastes like an inferior product. You've also told me that the health benefits of using heirloom varieties is, is really serious. People don't think about a tortilla as eating an apple or, you know, yeah. eating something where you're going to get vitamins and minerals and things that you need. But, um, Chef, you've told me that that when you use heirloom corn, that, th- that tortillas are truly, they have health benefits to them. Could you tell me a bit?
5: Right. Uh, well, first of all, they're naturally gluten-free. That's uh, a, a, a key on that because a lot of customers, they want that. And we don't want to give you something that has to be modified in order for you uh, to be able to eat gluten it, Gluten right? being
2: a protein in wheat and you don't use wheat. No. Ergo...
5: And it's naturally gluten-free. So another point is, um, when you make nixtamal, the outside skin, it's called pericarp, it gets the attach. Now we don't really rinse it off; we just rinse off the liquid that has been cooked in, and that is fiber that has that corn has been awakened. It's been sleeping for a while. We're waking up all those amino acids that we need in our um diet if you think about it i mean a whole entire country was built on corn and it was the real uh corn that we were getting a heirloom heirloom mm-hmm. corn beans pumpkins and corn and that's all you need to have an empire right being built <laughs> Yeah, but now, you know, if we get rid of those things, we're getting nothing. It's an empty tortilla.
6: Absolutely. So all your, you know, store-bought tortillas that are, you know, coming in a packet, they've been completely stripped away from all those nutrients, you know, and not just to also the, uh, the flavor profile, the freshness that you get from uh, the quality of that product, you know. Um, and I mean, it really dates back to, I don't know, Aztecs, Mayans, um, discovering, you know, that you take, you know, Mm -hmm. volcanic rock and you heat it up to over a thousand degrees and that's how you get lime, you know, in that part of the Nistamalization, it basically awakens the corn to get all those nutrients. Right. And now Chef, Chef Mariana, you told me that there's actually
0: some political history here and it it amazes me how politics... Screws up the way many nations eat, Um, you know, and you could say that all the way down to why we have so much, you know, high fructose corn syrup in American food. But what's the deal with Mexican politics and how that's really affected the way Mexicans eat corn?
5: Well, it all happened about like thirty-five years ago. Um, I have had conversations with people from my generation. I'm thirty-four years old, and um, you know, they're like, "How do we know what a real tortilla tastes like?" Because all of our life we have. A tortilla. You go to a tortilleria, a tortilla shop, and you get your tortillas. But they're made with maseca, which is a flour that has been hydrated, and that's what they use. Now, there was a president who had a friend
0: back in the day who said, hey. "What's the point of being yeah. president if you right. can't help if your, you friends, can help your right? friends?"
5: Right? <laughs> um, let's. Um, he's like, "Hey, I have this flour, and um, I, I use corn that um, the fiber I sell it for the cows." You know, and then we just grind it and then we add additives and gums and stuff to mimic what a nixtamal tortilla is. And then we're going to, uh, we want to push this product. So Mexicans really, really, really didn't like it. It tasted different. It has a different texture, flavor, aroma, especially, right? It, it smells absolutely different. And so they're like, you know what? Well, we're gonna raise the price of corn, and we're gonna put a cap on, you know, how much you can sell, and we're gonna give you machines for free, and we're gonna give you flour for free, and we're gonna push all these producers of nixtamal masa and tortillas out of business, and uh-huh. we're gonna, and we're gonna, you know, so it's like having, I don't know, in Italy having wine being. The president is telling you, we're going to box it up now. (laughs) Now everybody's going to have box wine. Enjoy
0: the box. We'll give you the free boxes. We'll give you the
5: boxes. (laughs) We'll give you the machines. And then we're going to raise the price of grapes. So you can't make your own and you can't make the real deal. And that's exactly what happened. And so it took over the industry. And then we're left with, you know, a tortilla that is not nutritious. Um, People with with the lowest income, that's what they needed. It was yeah. a cheap product that, you know, it, it it was nutritious for them, and then it stopped. So we're just giving them
0: crap. Well, thank you guys for wow. kind of rediscovering that and reintroducing the world to to you know real quality products and reintroducing Las Vegas. Um, and you mentioned a few great places where we can get oh. that cuisine. Speaking and
2: of great cuisine, wow. coming to our
0: table right now, wow. Um, so we are gonna we're gonna <laughs> dig into this maybe chat about it in a second when we come <laughs> back. Amazing. But
6: I don't want to distract. Wait, tell, tell us what what's just arrived, please, Chef. So we got you, a uh, combo here: uh, three tacos. We got fish uh, on this side. We got uh, our shrimp on the uh, left. Uh, we got pinto beans here and black beans here. Uh, Spanish rice. Okay, um, now as we start to get
0: distracted with the food, I do wanna move a bit beyond tortillas into a more general discussion of Mexican cuisine, particularly as it's represented and enjoyed here in Las Vegas. I feel like Americans have a very limited view of what Mexican food is or, or can be. We all have different views as well, depending on where we grew up in America. I wanna get into that with the two of you, but before I do, I wanna play a bit of a conversation I had with Chef Sarah Thompson, whom you just mentioned, executive chef at the new Casa Playa at Wynn, Um, they, as you might expect from Wynn, they offer a very upscale, refined take on Mexican cuisine. Sarah worked with the renowned um, Enrique Alvera prior to this, so there's no questioning her understanding of legit Mexican food. Um, She is not fronting. She knows what she's talking about. And yet I've heard some mild pushback from people who don't understand the type of cuisine she offers. So I want to play this conversation with you, if I can, and get get your thoughts. It's a little long, but when Sarah speaks, I don't ask her to stop. What would you say to people who just think Mexican should be inexpensive tacos and they've never experienced Mexican fine dining?
4: I mean, I think that there's a whole range of Mexican food. Like there are definitely like, I mean, you go around like Charleston or all over Las Vegas, you can find really good inexpensive Mexican food. But, you know, when we're using, you know, all of the products that you see at the when the American Wagyu, the King Crab, the the Yellowfin tuna, the Hokkaido scallops, like we're using all of these really luxury ingredients, but you know, making the Mexican, we're using like our backbone of like the chilies, the, you know, the agaves, the, you know, the limes, the our cilantro and all of that. So I think that, you know, we kind of need to break that a little bit because, you know, there are things that are inexpensive, but, you know, if you really want to expand and have a, a type of cuisine grow, you need to be open to trying, you know, new things and experiencing them in a different way.
0: More than any other cuisine in the United States, Americans think they know Mexican cuisine, Mm -hmm. probably because we share a very long border with Mexico, but yet People I know who grew up in Texas think that's the only style of Mexican food. People I know who grew up in San Diego think what they saw right over the border is the only style of Mexican food. Could you address how varied Mexican cuisine is within Mexico and how maybe underrepresented that variety may be here in Las Vegas or in the United States?
4: Similar to the US or anywhere you travel, Mexican cuisine is very, very regional. Like if you were to go and they use the ingredients that they have local to them, they're not getting ingredients imported. Like if you're, you know, in the middle of the desert, you're not going to see seafood. You're going to see really like rustic cattle. You're going to see dried chilies. And you'll see that like, you know, there's cochinita pibil from the Yucatan. If you're traveling through Cabo, you'll see lots of like lobster. Also like the corn. If you're in like the north in Monterey, you see flour tortillas. That's why Tex-Mex is like flour tortillas all the time because that's just right across the border. You travel down to Oaxaca where all of the corn comes from you only see corn tortillas so if you think about mexican food as regional like mexico is huge but you think about the u.s like you have creole food you have uh you know f- different types of barbecue where there's louisiana or texas and like there's always a duel but th- like for me i don't think one is better than the other people might argue with me <laughs> but you just have to think about how large mexico is and how varied the culture is and where all of that comes from and one thing that i really appreciate in mexican culture is like they don't import, they don't travel to different states to get other ingredients, like they use what they have. And because, you know, San Diego, Texas, of course is right across the border and that's what you see. But if you were just to go south of, <laughs> along Cabo, a little bit more past you'll open your eyes to a whole different type of Mexican cuisine that you just wouldn't be able to see anywhere else, which I think is really incredible. And people should be a little bit more open to, you know, experiencing that because you know, there is, like, people in Texas who think this is Mexican food, they aren't wrong, because that is Mexican <laughs> food. But there also are, you know, 20 or 30 other styles of Mexican food out there. Right. You know what I mean?
0: How is the Las Vegas Mexican? I know I said the last question. This is <laughs> really <laughs> last question. I mean, I think, How is our variety of Mexican, and what do you bring, That what are you trying to add to what we already know?
4: I think it is very varied. Like, it's actually really interesting, because I, I live in Chinatown, and, like, I live in the same building that has a taco stand, and that's San Diego all the way and then they opened like an El Campa, which is like birria, a little bit more rustic. And it's really interesting. There's a block away from each other and they're just completely different experiences. So that's really, really fun. On the strip, I think that what we're bringing is you see a lot of food that's, you know, very familiar, very comfortable. You see like tacos and moles and things like this. But what we wanted to do here is create a totally unique experience where like the food is coastal mexican is super vibrant really flavorful and like really just alive it's not going to you're not going to go to excess and feel weighed down like you want to come here have a bunch of like really light vibrant food and then go back to the beach club and have a party like we're not trying to you know we're, we're trying to just give someone a, to- a totally new you know experience of what i think mexican cuisine is
2: al, uh, <clears throat> al can you have a Talk a little more.
0: We're, yeah, well, we're, not we're, done. We, we're all gonna have to swallow and have something to drink. Oh man, this is um, this is delicious food, by the way, Chef. Thank you so much for sharing it.
6: I'm sure You guys, thank you.
0: I don't know worked. if anybody got to hear Sarah because we were so busy stuffing our faces. At least I was. I can <laughs> only no. speak for myself. Yeah. But um, d- do you agree with what she said? Because you know, this is funny. I came back from Cabo, and people say, "Oh, that's not authentic." And I'm like, "No, I was. It's it's a tourist place. It's what how people eat in a tourist town. That's authentic for a tourist town," but. This idea of authenticity has kind of become a double-edged sword. People think something's authentic because it's what they've experienced and only what they've experienced. And then the more you explore, you realize that food is, of course, always being interpreted by by the chefs in that region, home chefs, grandmothers, um, you know, young up and coming culinary school people working with the ingredients that are available nearby, whatever they can get. Um, So I guess I'm saying is, we also though, we do wanna pay respect to the roots and the traditions. And I know there's a lot of this idea of cultural appropriation, which is maybe a bit too complicated to get into deeply here, but there's always a fine balance that we wanna be honest and fair and respectful of the traditions, but we don't want to get locked in our own little box of there's only one kind of this food. So with all of that said, what are your thoughts on what Chef Sarah just said and, and some of my dumbass meandering there um, about, you know, the types of Mexican food and what people
6: should expect from the variety and the authenticity? I mean, uh, I'm, if it's okay, I want to... I agree with a lot of what she said. Um, I think in Mexico it's uh, everything Everything is locally sourced, you know, they use what they have. Um, and I mean, there's no reason why, you know, Mexican cuisine can't be elevated with, you know, uh, you know, cuts of steaks that are above normal, you know? Um, but I think if you stay true to your, your chilies and your techniques and your agaves and your signature sauces, for example, moles and al mojo de ajo and a la diabla, um, It could be elevated, you know, Um, I completely agree with that, Um, but I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, When we talk about authenticity, um, to me, that's a very strong word. I always say we cook as chefs traditionally, right? A cuisine. Authentic is what I grew up eating from my grandmother, my mom, my dad. Uh, My authentic might be different uh, to your authentic, right? So I'm very careful using the word authentic. I use, I cook Mexican food traditionally. Um, because authentic is something just very personal, you know? No two two grandmothers cook exactly the same.
2: I I do want to, I don't want to pick a fight, but I do want to explore this whole cultural appropriation thing. As Hispanics, as authentic chefs, Caucasian-American, African-American, Asian-American, one of these people goes to Mexico, goes to Central America, dives in, learns, brings that stuff back and makes their interpretation of that is that racist theft?
6: I don't believe so. Thank we need anybody and everybody <laughs> that, you know, dives into the culture and really learns it and brings it back and puts their own twist on it. They're cooking traditionally, right? They're using our ingredients. They're using their techniques. It's it's a way to elevate it, and it's a way to, you know, just put more exposure on it.
2: And all, right. all of
6: cuisine is
2: borrowing on the edge of theft, if not theft, <laughs> because everybody takes my wife is here. She used to be a pastry chef. Her boss, African-American, classically trained French chef who would go to France. He's not French. He's black. He brings this stuff back to the U.S., back to Seattle. Nobody's accusing him of cultural appropriation.
5: No, no, they shouldn't.
2: But but there's a big
0: there's a big difference between and I know many chefs. Some um, you know Mike Miner, who's no longer here in Las Vegas, but he worked for Mary Sue and Susan at Border right. Grill, traveled with them throughout Mexico. Were, was taken in yeah. by local chefs, learned things. Rick Bayless, of course, you yeah. know, is a great example. Um, you know, and whenever I hear somebody giving them shit, I'm sort of like, well, you know, I, I want to listen to why they're giving them shit, but I, I, I'm not buying the shit most of the no, time. No, but no. At, but at the other end of the spectrum. There are a lot of white people who don't take the time to explore other cultures or learn or respect or educate themselves on other cultures, and they just slap a Mexican or any any cultural label on something and really just give you American food that, that steals the names and steals the rough ideas without any respect. And I do think that's problematic. It's problematic for all of us, not just the culture that we're stealing from, but it's problematic for the culture, the, the white people here in America who are only being handed this bullshit representation Absolutely. of what something is and as we're talking right now the the bullshit tortillas have become all that anybody eats, right? Exactly. And that's uh, a problem.
2: I, I confess, I went to Taco Bell this week, but my cat made me do it. <laughs>
6: <laughs> it's great cat food, man. Yeah, right. yeah, he actually took a bite or two and oh, licked the
2: tomato.
0: Rich, rich. I so, well, I
6: wanted to talk to- about good good, <laughs> right, casual yeah.
0: Mexican here in Las Vegas. I have a few favorites. I like bomb tacos. Um, also, Max Jacobs and John Curtis, years ago when we were working together, turned me on to Los Antojos, which for a while was a favorite fantastic place. I see they're still in business. I haven't been there in a while. Um, I don't know how you feel about them. Also, tacos al gordo, which I used mm-hmm. to love as a chain because you could get the, um, the, the cabeza, the beef head, the the, the pork stomach, the, the guna, which is beef tongue. You could get tripe. You used to be able to get brains. I, can't, I yeah. couldn't find that on the menu yeah. there. So I love... Yes, so I love those <laughs> places just for the variety. Mm-hmm. What do you think about any of the places I mentioned for just good casual, or do you have other favorites? And you don't have to trash anybody, but if you want to, we're open to that too.
5: <laughs> um, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I just want to go back real quick to, to talking about chefs that are bringing stuff that they learn. Um, I think that all those restaurants that you just mentioned, that they were your favorite, it's, it's people that um, are trying to bring you something from where they grew up. That is, that is absolutely fantastic. You know, it's something from Mexico here. And I think we have two types of waves. All the food that is Mexican in the beginning, it just adapted to whatever we had available right? Same thing with Chinese-American food. It was an adaptation. Even Italian-American food. Same thing. thing. Everything was an adaptation of, okay, what do we have? And let's just make it work, right? For the palate of where we are. Mm -hmm. So that becomes Mexican. That becomes Tex-Mex. That becomes what is Mexican right now? And I think that we are in a different wave right now, trying to bring what flavors we grew up with. And just since we have now the power of bringing those flavors and those ingredients, then it makes a different it makes a different side of it. it. none is better than the other because no matter what, we're just creating food. All of us are just you know trying to put out there something that people will feel happy about. Um, but tacos El gordo is definitely, one one good place to go. Yeah. I agree.
0: And also very late at night when you're wasted, yeah. they're usually still serving yeah. and pretty yeah. affordable if you lost all your money yeah. at the blackjack table, right? That's where you so. want to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, how about sit- casual sit-down Mexican I always felt was missing in Las Vegas. And, yes. and actually, let's say not totally casual, like let's say mid, mid-range, family mm-hmm. dinner, and maybe a, a casual date, right? But still a date night, kind of. And, and that, I always felt, was a little missing in Las Vegas. Um, I happen to like Frank and Fina's, which is over on the west side, for that. Uh, but I don't see a lot of places where there's a tablecloth and an informed waiter without getting up into the stratospheric price range. Price. Do you guys know of any here in Las Vegas? And if, if not, why are we missing
6: that level of Mexican?
5: Yeah, I don't, I don't know of any. Um,
6: uh, it's, it's not out there yet, man, but we're, hopefully... We're, it, it, we're working on that. It, it, will, it will be here. <laughs> yes.
5: in,
2: in the mid-'80s, there was Garcia's of Scottsdale and Chi-Chi's, who to, competed <laughs> to a lot. It was sort of the Olive Garden of Mexican food. Yeah. So, and I actually did go on a date at one of those places. Right. So. I
5: think it's also, you know, the perception that people have about Mexican food being kind of cheap, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. it, that it should be cheap. So... Um, for example, our tortillas, you know, the price range is absolutely different than what you're going to buy, like regular restaurants are going to buy. So we, you can sell a taco for the same price. We can have a 99 cents taco. That's just no way.
0: Right, right. Um, because you're paying for quality ingredients and correct. people need to understand that. If right. you, you know, um, good food isn't cheap and cheap food is rarely good. Yes. There are some exceptions, but, you know.
5: Yeah. I mean, a salad probably, you <laughs> Yeah. <know. laughs> um but I'm I think it's I think it's something that we need and uh it's all based on education so us Madero milpa I think we're trying just to push out there that product that people can see okay this is different and this is worth it mm-hmm. and this is worth my money yeah so then we can raise the bar.
0: Well, hopefully people will go to places like Casa Playa. They'll they'll get used to opening up their wallet for a Win Encore evening out. They expect to pay Win Encore prices. And they're going to say, "Okay, this is an amazing meal. Maybe I'll pay more for my neighborhood. Mexican restaurant as well um, and let them have good quality ingredients speaking a bit of sort of the cultural appropriation I don't know that this is that but um, birria is everywhere right now right I mean I'm almost expecting Taco Bell to launch a freaking birria soon because it's just like become the buzzword of every Mexican marketing thing now I remember when I first wrote about a birria place here in Las Vegas for Las Vegas City Life the the headline on the cover of the paper I mean it was one mini headline was Al Mancini eats a goat and that's, they thought that was funny. And I went into this place over by um, by our friend Eric, who's sitting here, by his office, over by all the sex clubs and Lotus of Siam on Sahara. And there was a birria joint in there. And I walked in, and they were watching football, uh, soccer on the soccer. thing. And they looked and saw the white people. It was like the you know the um, Blues Brothers walking into the bar, and everyone <laughs> stops. And they looked at me, and I asked to see a menu. And they're like, we have one thing. You like goat? And I'm like, that's what I came for, right? And the only birria that they had at this place was goat birria. Now I see birria everywhere. I never see it done with goat anymore. It seems like they've just substituted things in. Now, am I just conditioned to think that goat is more authentic and that these people are just bastardizing it for the American palate by, by doing it with other meats? Or am I wrong? Has it always been done with multiple
6: meats? So, uh, I'll <laughs> talk a little bit about that. Man. So, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a weekend food. It's a, usually a hangover dish for the weekend uh, in Mexico. originated uh, in, the, in Jalisco. Um, and, and the reason for goat um, you know it, it was it was available um, but very lean right Very tough meat so it's a 24 hour process to oh, yeah. get that thing super tenderized so I, I think a lot of you know restaurants, they can get it you know but they skew away from it because of the process
2: hangover food that originated in the home of tequila,
6: tequila. Right. Do. Yeah. who knew who knew it was it was, an, was a necessity
0: and that yes. brings me to my final topic what's the best thing to drink with mexican cuisine is it should we go tequilas and mezcal should we go with tequila mezcal cocktails are mexican beers specifically the ones you can get here in las vegas any good what do you drink
5: I'm a mezcal girl. I want
0: to say mezcal and tequila. Uh, yeah.
5: yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, well, you know, I'm going to leave you on that. Telling people to have mezcal, the smokier, the better, <laughs> in my
2: opinion. Pechuga. Blatant <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> cool. plugs here.
0: Yeah, right. quick quick reminder. Madero Street Tacos is right here on Carson Avenue, on what I call the Restaurant Row of downtown Las Vegas. In the meantime, if people actually want to get your tortillas, can you tell them how they can find them? Buy
5: this? them online. You can also text me on Instagram. I'm the one handling everything at the same time. So. What's the website? Um. So our website is the Masazul. T H E M A S A Z U L. Dot com. And uh, Instagram is at Masazul underscore. And yeah, you'll be talking to me. so
0: Awesome. Thank you both very much for your time. I'm going to yeah. dig into more of this food because Absolutely. it's right. you guys. it smells delicious. What I've had so far tastes delicious. We will be back. This is Food and Loathing. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, joined once again by Chef Rick Moonen and our producer Rich Johnson. And, you know, what? as we're sitting here sipping this Singani 63, I'm wondering, did I even mention the full name of the spirit in the last segment? You did. In I a, did.
1: In the beginning, but it's it's a good re- okay. uh, thing to repeat. Sing, yeah, like S-I-N-G-A-N-I, Singani. Singani
0: yeah. is the spirit um, category. Singani 63 is Mr. Soderbergh's brand. It's the first time it's being um, served outside of... Um, bolivia anywhere and he's actually trying to get whoever it is in the u.s government that gives separate designations for categories to give this its own designation.
2: i was going to say because it's very small print but it is on that label the word brandy which is what, the obviously, it is as close to for the moment.
1: The big category is eau de vie, water of life, and then brandy is a subcategory of that.
2: Yeah,
0: so, yeah, I think for now it's being categorized as a brandy, but it will be categorized, hopefully, if they get their own categorization. They should. It's own thing. Mm -hmm. Um, As as I promised last week, I did some live streaming over the weekend from Craft House Brewery's 7th Anniversary Party. Those videos are still up on the Food and Loathing Facebook page. Check them out um, if you want... I want to mention that one of the people I spoke with at that party was Matt Brady from Astronomy Ale Works. We had a nice long conversation. At one point, after I asked about the downtown Arts District beer scenes, he teased an expansion for his brand.
2: Um, But no, seriously, we're looking at getting something uh, downtown because it's a great place to serve beer. A lot of people are down there. It's a hot commodity, Um, and rightfully so.
0: Okay, so he, that's all he would tell me on the record, basically. But um, it would be great to see Astronomy Works moving downtown. Absolutely. Into the Arts District, hopefully. Um I also have a bit of news from our friends at Piero's. The landmark Italian restaurant is once again serving customers seven days a week after operating yeah. just five days a week since last year. Piero's, of course, is located directly across the street, or I guess I should say directly across two streets right, right. from the Uh-oh. Las Vegas Convention Center. <laughs> Get run over. Yeah, it's kind of in oh, that yeah. little L. Um, it's all—it's just tucked in there. So the fact they're feeling confident enough to expand their hours could be seen, I guess, as positive news for the city as a whole yeah Yeah. congrats to chris conlon and owners freddie and evan glussman they're open from 5 30 to 10 every night starting now um if you haven't been there in a while it's a perfect reason to go back rick that's talking about pierre is sitting here in your backyard at um moon and ranch is um (laughs) Is, is a funny did I ever tell you about my conversation with Freddie Glusman here at your house
1: no I did not you did not I,
0: I was at one of your great barbecues and I, I don't want to rehash the negative because um, it, it's so much time has gone by but I had had a bad experience at Piero's back when I was in my early writing days as a food writer for City Life I gave him a really negative review whoever was working there didn't like me didn't like my mohawk didn't like the way I was dressed treated me like shit that particular time it was 15 years ago i've been back many times i love the place now Mm -hmm. so don't take that i'm only bringing that up for the sake of the story but then flash forward 12 years or whatever and i'm in your backyard sitting right right over there and um i think our friend claudine was over there and and freddie glussman the owners of pierre is there and if anybody doesn't know freddie he is like um i mean you know they shot they shot scenes for casino of there right yeah, it's yeah. like he looks like a guy that if he wouldn't
1: it's not mob connected out come on let's not I'm go not there claiming <laughs> that. Uh, I just i'm just, just make sure you don't no, make strictly that mistake. legitimate business
0: i'm in no I'll way saying. saying that he's ever buried anybody in the desert i'm nah. simply saying that he might have a map to where those <laughs> yeah. are i don't know like that's just the first impression you get from this guy and he's like what do you do for a living nice enough guy oh, i write about food and beverage uh you should review my place one time <laughs> like yeah, actually I did about ten or twelve years ago. Oh. It didn't go that well. Uh, what happened, right? And like I was
1: so- r- I was writing reviews of the old school places in Vegas. All right. I have a very similar story to yours. And a buddy of mine was in town that I used to work with in New York City. Good friend. Haven't seen him in years. So I wanted to take him out somewhere nice. I said, I'm paying for these dinners anyway. I wasn't getting reimbursed. It was one of those freebies just to get some exposure and have some fun. And so I've done a bunch of really cool restaurants in town. The, the Hole in the Wall and, you know. and oh, yeah. Downstairs, what's the uh, the place you get the rose when you walk in? Yeah, at the Fork Wings. Hugo's Cellar. At the four, yeah, thank you. Hugo's Cellar. And I wrote great reviews because they were terrific. There was some of it's cheesy fun just like let's just act like oh you know the eggplant parmesan again you know so anyway so I go to Piero's I walk in with my wife my wife's well dressed we walk in they assume these two dudes because we're kidding around like oh remember the good old days they figured we hired a hooker (laughs) (laughs) they treated my wife like a hooker first of all I ordered a bottle of Billy Carr Simone Rose non-vintage and after about 20 minutes they bring me over the bottle of the vintage, I said, no, 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 no. I know what you're pulling on. You <laughs> think I'm a tourist, and you're going to give me the $800 check at the end because that's what you poured. So I refused it. They didn't like it. They walk away. My wife had to get up and go through the bar to go to the bathroom, and she got solicited by all uh, these guys at the bar <laughs> how much she charges. Oh, and, man. and the whole thing was just, it was horrific. I mean, the food was good. It was good. It wasn't great, you know, and I haven't been back since. That's kind of, and I didn't write a review either. I just I decided I'm not I'm not even gonna.
0: Well, how and long and, and yet is. you still had Freddie at that party at your house that I was at.
1: Well, you know, yeah, I try to have I have parties at my house for specific reasons. I like to bring people together, mm-hmm. that my, you know, and just to be able to talk whatever level you want to talk on, shop or not. You know, just chill out and relax. I've got you know, so many performer friends, so many things. The Moon and Ranch, and it could because I what I do for a living is cook a shit ton of food. Is I just like to invite over and see how people react.
0: Well, I would I would tell you that if you um you, you should go back. I'll go back with you. Chris like Conlin to. is in the kitchen right now. Mm-hmm. Chris is amazing. Came there from um, Hakkasan. Uh, yeah, this was years ago, by yeah. way. yeah, yeah, and my bad experience was years and years. Yeah, ago, yeah, right. So um so look that's. I think the positive thing is that they're opening back up, and both Rich and I, Rick and I have had, um, have had crazy experiences there in the past that are only in Vegas experiences, yeah. right? So you got to love it for that, and that it is much, much better, especially since Chris has been in the kitchen.
1: I mean, I really do love it. You got it. Place, I'm, so. I'll go with you, Al, anytime. Cool. Um, on me, brother.
2: All right, junk food time, and I I, I gotta oh, I, I gotta find a new title for this because uh, it's not junk. It's fast. It's convenient. It's it's what people like. As as Rick sus, you said, but... there's so many of those places because people go to them and they make a lot of money. So uh, it was not really junk food. I think I don't think a submarine sandwich is junk food if you do it reasonably right. So I went to a couple of places in the last few weeks, uh, and I o- o- always order the same thing. The bedrock for me is the turkey. Sandwich straight up. Mm-hmm. I feel about that like I feel like uh, bacon eggs at a diner. Show me you can do bacon and in sausage or eggs over medium toast and hash browns, then we can talk about Florentines and scrambles <laughs> and waffles covered with half a ton and half a can of ready whip. Uh, a couple of weeks ago was Porta subs. Uh, last thing on my list, uh, thanks to the bread uh, that had sort of a not so fresh feeling. Kind of a yoga mat taste. Uh, to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Not but too much of that. Uh, the rest of the ingredients the sliced turkey roll, uh, mayo, lettuce, onion, oil, and vinegar they're fine, but it was no more than fine. Last week I went to Capriotti's local chain, Scone National. Found one on the eastern shore of uh, Chesapeake Bay once, many years ago. They pride themselves on that Thanksgiving turkey sub with the dressing and the cranberry the sauce. Bobby.
0: Yeah, Yeah. the old Bobby. Everybody loves the Bobby. I did
2: not have that. I've had that a couple of times. It's been fine. But I'm, as a rule, not a carb-on-carb guy putting bread stuffing on bread. They make a
0: solid cheesesteak, a solid-filled cheesesteak for a chain. But but
1: it's roasted turkey, though. Yeah,
2: I went to the basic uh, turkey sandwich, but they use the actual turkey breast roasted in-house, which comes out kind of flaky. It was kind of dry I subscribe to the idea that massively produced turkey rolls are the best for a turkey sub, not fresh roasted Thanksgiving leftovers. I love my Thanksgiving leftover turkey covered in gravy on white bread sure. after Thanksgiving sure. and the day after and the day after and the day That's after That's the whole that. idea, yeah. Uh, but the real turkey capriottis didn't really work for me. Uh, last week I found what is so far the leader firehouse subs. Uh, I did not realize when I ordered the basic turkey sub uh, that it comes by default hot. You know, they run it through the little broiler and put house. the stuff on. Yeah, Firehouse. The house. name might have given an indication. Name. It might have, yes. Might have if you Default. thought about that. Melted cheese on the toasted sub roll with the lettuce and the onion and the tomato. And it was really nice. The bread was nice and soft with just the right hint of yoga mat, I think. <laughs> well, <laughs> Don't sue me mats. there.
1: We got Oda V and de Mat. Yeah, yeah <laughs>
2: so I'm still on the hunt for the holy grail of turkey subs, the perfect balance of the mayo, the oil and vinegar, the Italian seasoning, the accompaniments. I may actually have to go back to Subway, which I have not uh, done in a very long time, just for a you know.
1: Well, I've, I've done some Subway. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I,
2: I, I don't do Subway. Um, I
0: jump on a couple of quick points there. First, I like what you said about the eggs. I once read a story um, that Mr. Robichon, Joel Robichon, when he was hiring yeah. cooks or chefs, would ask them. I got a book that he wrote on egg. eggs,
1: in my, right behind. Wow. On that yeah. shelf.
0: Wow. So I don't know if there's any truth to that story, but uh, you know, I've, I've met some people that have. Worked with Mr. Robichon. Never asked him that when I when he was alive, and I never asked them. But there is something to be said for making a perfect
1: egg. It's harder than people think, right? Well, yeah, it's like the point of entry. The, the discussion is you have to make me an omelet. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know how to make an omelet, it means you got a, yeah. a, a feel. You know, and and the eggs have to be a certain fluffiness, etc.
2: Yeah, we all remember the last scene of Big Night when uh,
1: that was perfect.
2: That was perfect. Oh no, no, I got no dialogue at all. Just making the omelet.
1: Yeah, and, and the and the, the series started when he put a pan on the fire, turned the flame on, and then went to crack the eggs yes. when the pan got hot. That's the way a chef
2: works. Two weeks ago on the Showtime show that I'm absolutely addicted to called Billions, mm-hmm. they did an homage to that scene. Paul Giamatti as the DA in his house, and it was one shot, one, one camera for about four minutes straight with no dialogue of him turning it on, then going to crack the eggs. Absolute movement for movement homage. I'm getting to emotional big night. right now because, <laughs> because that was
1: such a it was such a sad moment. You know, it was the end of a, a lead. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Anyway, so this, yeah. next. So I haven't seen. But eggs, so eggs, I got nothing to say. eggs are yeah. the foundation for everything. Those silly hats that chefs wear, they call them a tote, the real yeah, tall, yeah, tall, yeah, the tall ones, right? All the folds in it. Do you know what? There's 100 folds in it, and you know why?
0: One for each way you can make an egg. That's exactly uh, or right. You just That's exactly stir,
1: right. right. No, no. One for each way that you can make an egg. Could wow. Be a souffle. It could be, you know, whatever. Yeah. Be hard. But could be deviled egg. Over medium. Egg. In yeah. The it diner. Doesn't matter. But there's 100 ways that you're supposed to know when you finally got that toast.
0: Rich, I've got to say, I usually turn my nose up at just about every place that you visit for your fast food. As <laughs> it should be. Most yeah. of it's <laughs> just crap. But um, I have to say, as sandwich chains go, I do like both Capriati's and Firehouse. They're, yep. I mean, they're solid. And by that, I mean... Between the two of them, I've probably eaten there five times total in the past decade, right? But for, for me, that's Fair a enough. lot for a fest.
1: Well, my day. wife is a food stylist, and she does a lot of the images that you see for capriotis. And we do, we've do we done them at my house, and I know the ingredients and in the stuff. And they're quality. Yeah. You know, so I mean, i got to give them that. I mean, I've never had a Bobby, nor will I probably ever, because I can make it better myself. And, <laughs> and I
0: also don't <laughs> want to pretend that they're <laughs> my to be, family uh, that I'm getting leftovers from I, for I Thanksgiving. Have really, <laughs> I have to be
1: really hungry or desperate, because you know, I'm in a food desert. You know, outside of the outside of Las Vegas, of course, I'm referring to like oh, I'm so hungry, I gotta eat something. Then maybe I'll go to, you know, a, a fast food.
2: Oh, place. Um, let me tell you. Uh, but that's it. Driving through Tonopah last week, do I go to the little mom and pop joint that uh, may or may not have uh, passed uh, the Nye County uh, Food Service uh, Inspection, or do I go to McDonald's where I know yeah. corporate standards are going to be at least I'm not going to die.
1: I like the turkey uh, reference you made. I, I use that as a, as a matter of fact, yesterday I was, I was just in a, uh, you know the, the Westgate because I, I was participating in an, an event that's going on there. Now they're judging. It's called Proof Awards. Anyway, so my wife and I are hungry, and we're going to have to taste a bunch of who knows what. It's all high yeah. spirit stuff. So I uh, went into SIDS, and I had the turkey club. I'm the turkey club guy. If anything in my life, I will. I'm. I'm trying to find the perfect turkey club. Every no matter where that I. That is a holy grail worthy yeah. pursuit. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I like Sids. Ha- I haven't had a turkey club there. They're, it's massive. Yeah. Like you and I could split one, but it was quite good. I give give them them an 8 out of 10.
0: Speaking of things that will put you in the mood to eat massive portions, time for our edibles (laughs) review. This one's going to be short and sweet because we've been doing this, we've been drinking this through the entire episode. Um, This was given to me by our friend Diana Breyer during last week's episode. It's a cannabis product. Two Roots is what Mm -hmm. it is called. um, It's a little can of liquid. Cucumber lime. It's got the most pain in the dick kind of opening thing you got to pop the top and then you got to slide it back and then you drink out of this teeny tiny little slot of a hole but supposedly the good part of it is that actually i did do this yes at home. You, you can reseal it and it will keep it carbonated afterwards so um you're gonna put it in
2: with your Singani? Yeah. <laughs> a new cocktail Singani program, makes right everything there. Everything tastes better. That's, no, right. that's Yours. That was a clean one. Uh, that's right. It's not that's a cocktail. Yeah. It's a cocktail no. program. You
1: know, you know what I find interesting is they give you ratios on the cans, and one's called Balance. Balance is five milligrams CBD, five milligrams THC. So you're not you're not gonna wig out over that because CBD counterbalances THC. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at one that's two THC to one CBD. Yeah, called, and that's what
0: we're drinking right now.
1: Called Lift. So, uh, you know. I.
0: It, and it's just kind of a nice, neat, clean, dry taste to it. Uh, light carbonation, I would say ver- virtually no sugar really on this. No, it's no, not no, a- not
1: at all. But, it, it, but the, the sweetness that you're getting out of it is from cane sugar, not, you're not uh, corn syrup and all that extractions and all the crap that we drink out of everything else. Like, you know, the, the Coca-Cola in Mexico, going way back to Mexico, yeah. is, so, is so much better. I had a Coca-Cola. Or the kosher Coke, what they bring out different for Passover. Cane sugar, right? Cane Instead sugar. of
2: high fructose corn
1: syrup. Hey, thank you. That's my point. Thanks for saying it succinctly. Oh. <laughs> I guess I'm done. I'm but this b- has b- cane b- sugar, and I like that. <laughs> <it. laughs>
0: Solid product, real. It, it Trust me, if you're drinking this to get stoned, drink it before you get stoned. Because trying to figure out this lid... After your stone, <laughs> yeah, okay, is going to confuse the <laughs> shit out of you. You'll end up gonna sawing gonna off the whole top. <laughs> yeah. Finally, and I know this has been a long episode, but I love having Rick here. Um Finally, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, Bruce Coleman has a rock and roll barbecue night planned for the Arts District that you will not want to miss. Saturday night, which is October second, if you're listening to this. After you know, it's been out for a before while. the second. Yeah. Yes. So hopefully you'll be listening to it before the second. He'll be performing with Duff Goldman at Soul Belly Barbecue on Main Street, and you have to love the name of the band Foie Groc. Oh. <laughs> There's boy. no cover charge and great barbecue from Bruce, and the place is sandwiched between two breweries in what may be the coolest neighborhood in Las Vegas. So check it out if you can. That's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all of our guests, Chefs Francisco Alvarez, Mariano Alvarado, and Casa Playa's Sarah Thompson. And, of course, the one, the only, Rick Moonen. You're going to come back for a few more of these, right? Oh,
1: man, if I keep getting drunk and stoned at these things, I mean, I believe, <laughs> Al. Cool. That's why we're
2: coming to your house. <laughs> yes. You may need some cots next time.
1: There's always Uber.
2: So next week, we're not
0: 100% sure what's happening. Like I said, I just got over a little bit of a... Um, I was in bed for a A few days trying to to take care of myself during these troublesome healthcare times. So I'm a little behind on booking segments, but I'm hoping perhaps we'll talk sushi next week. Um, Also, we have a barbecue segment coming up very soon. The deal is all you need to do is subscribe and follow us, and you'll get every episode dropped in your box when they happen. That's all you have to do. Indeed.
1: You have to tell your friends. Okay. just wanted to interject not just oh you
2: mean food. that part where it's my line oh that says rich not rick tell a friend oh, about moving on. but that's okay I'll, I'll be big about it
1: let me drink some two roots you want to read he's the rest the guy not, not drinking the weed i'm sorry so. <laughs> all right
2: follow us subscribe on platforms any damn platform if you subscribe through apple though, leave us a nice review we want your feedback your likes your retweets we have all kinds of addresses and the best way to find them all is at Al's website, TheNeonMohawk.com. You'll find our links on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram pages, and in-depth details on every episode of this podcast. And if you want to reach reach us right now, right here, right direct, email, electronic mail. It's a thing. Heard of it. Info at foodandloathing.vegas.
0: With co-host Rick Moonen and producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini reminding you to stay hungry.